this week in the parish of Bourses and Market Structure. ICE have taken their leave of Coinbase with a stunning return, while beyond the pixels of Exchange Invest, PLY has been celebrating the first month of Merban in The National, while the EU open access proposal is dying as Brexit Britain takes the initiative. Meanwhile, CME closes all but one pit. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast, episode 93. Over at CME, the pits are barely there. Only Eurodollar options will remain for the time being as the London Metals Exchange continues to debate the future of its ring. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very brief reduction of highlights from another frantic week. These came from the key headlines covered during the course of the week in market structure with all the analysis of the week's many events and happenings in Exchange Invest, the daily subscriber newsletter that provides the water cooler of the bourse business, sent daily to your inbox. More details at exchangeinvest.com. With the first month over, it was time to review the scores on the doors for Merban Futures volume this week and what incredible reading it made for. Indeed, the already encouraging launch of IFAD, ICE Futures Abu Dhabi, the ADNOC ICE joint venture, was simply scintillating. As I described it in an opinion editorial piece in the national newspaper of the UAE, the island of excellence emerging around Merban Futures went the headline. Exchange Invest was, of course, born to spread the word through the Digital Bush Telegraph, primarily about the achievements of the exchange world. For the past year, we have been doing brilliant work as a parish, and where I can find an avenue, I enjoy spreading the word about how free markets via open exchanges work. That's not a revenue source for us, like this podcast, but it's vital we get this message across to the outside world. Again, like this podcast. To that end, I was delighted the UAE newspaper The National published my op-ed piece on the simply stellar achievements in regulating market creation and driving unprecedented product liquidity to a whole new product set in Abu Dhabi. After all, let's remember, it was 504 days in the making from the first announcement, despite umpteen COVID lockdowns around the world, before we actually saw the launch of IFAD Abu Dhabi. Itself an incredible achievement. At the same time, to be one month old, this is truly a benchmark market in Merban that is emerging alongside Brent Crude and West Texas Intermediate. Or as I put it in the national article, in the heart of Abu Dhabi Global Market, an island of excellence is emerging around Merban Futures at IFAD. There's only one daily news source for the business of bourses, Exchange Invest, the exchange of information. Exchange Invest publishes the daily digest of everything in the market structure industry around the world in a user-friendly email briefing format from Monday to Friday. With additional pith by former Exchange CEO and long-standing fintech pioneer Patrick L. Young, yes, that's me, Exchange Invest is the unique one-stop shop for the daily news in markets, market operators and related functions. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at $200 per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at exchangeinvest.com.
or email me, patrick at derivativesvision.com. Something we're saying farewell to this week, open access. Not that actually anybody is going to miss it. Well, other than, I suppose, the bankers who were pushing for it, and maybe Xavier Rollet, who originally proposed it. Britain to scrap the European Union rule, giving choice of clearer in derivatives, went the tart headline in Reuters, which has been missed by everybody. Or as we summarised it in Exchange Invest, Merry Christmas, war is over. Hashtag I told you so is a big element of a side order of what we have to give you as the message there, because as the final curtain nears for one of the biggest wastes of regulatory time ever, a packed field of white pachyderms, it has to be said, the theoretically brilliant but practically incongruous notion of open access across EU CCPs was itself part of the much larger white elephant of legislation, MIFID II. It was never quite clear how the inevitable was going to occur. That was the inevitable, of course, if you were listening to PLY and a few select others for the past decade and more. However, the impractical open access rules ultimately died in the United Kingdom this week. The European Union will doubtless follow suit and thus kill off another chunk of the great MIFID II waste of time. Open access was born at a time when Razavier Rollet was the banker's blood brother. To demonstrate his loyalty to that tribe, LSE Group exited FASE, the European Stock Exchanges Federation, and then joined the dubious project to prize open clearinghouses in a way that would naturally suit the bankers at the expense of everybody else. Enshrined as a centrepiece of the MIFID II waste of time legislation, it was simply never going to happen, as I happily explained to all cynics for years on end. The only big question in a form of who done it that would have perplexed Agatha Christie, Sherlock Holmes and Hercule Poirot working as an ensemble would have been discerning which of countless critical flaws would ultimately kill open access. A victim of the growing ledger of positive effects due to Brexit, the cause of open access death will provoke relief across Eshbourne and beyond within the European 27. That's the European Union 27, of course. The EU will follow suit, as they won't want to be perceived as giving the United Kingdom an advantage. Now the United Kingdom has abandoned another of Xavier Rollet's Don Quixote-esque forays in financial markets. Against that great unravelling of legacy which culminated in the tea trolley era, it's a struggle to recall the excellent, utterly inspired deals Xavier stitched together in his early years as CEO, FTSE, London Clearinghouse and more albeit against a background of somewhat toxic actions which, like his utterly tin-eared and ongoing Brexit stance, would have been stopped out much earlier, surely, by a cannier manager. Russell Indexes was a later flash of brilliance, which showed how Xavier could find great deals and complete them, whereas his successor, as Zav himself has implied, has closed on a total doozy. Anyway, in a week where it was... Well, nothing short of vindication central within the pages of Exchange Invest. First of all, the death of the floors at the CME, then this death of open access, amongst other things. I have to say, and I'm sorry if you think I'm rubbing this in, I did tell you, for one of many reasons, open access CCP was not going to happen in Europe. And that was over a decade ago. There's been another interesting development this week in the ongoing controversy over Deutsche Börse's acquisition of the shareholder advisory service, ISS. The Credit Suisse head of the risk committee, Andreas Gottschring, stepped down ahead of a shareholder revolt during the course of the past week, albeit as the Financial Times noted. Influential proxy advisor Glass Lewis advised shareholders to vote against Gottschling. 
The interesting part here is that, as the Financial Times itself notes in a separate story, influential proxy advisor Glass Lewis recommended shareholders vote against Gotchling, while its rival ISS did not. ISS was recently acquired by Deutsche Börse, the German stock exchange, where Gotchling is also a board member. ISS was, of course, eager to note in recent missives that it is independent of Deutsche Börse. Yet, when it comes to a case where its major rival, Glass Lewis, was unequivocally critical of a Deutsche Börse director, albeit on a different board, ISS was entirely tacit. How comfortable are you with this in the wake of the ISS intervention into the London Stock Exchange Group CEO pay round just the week before? Already within six months of purchase, there are two separate occasions, crystal clear issues, which raise at least questions about the independence of ISS, no matter what its management claim to be their own point of view. Open outcry, of course, a big point of debate during the course of the week. No news yet from the London Metals Exchange, LME, the Hong Kong Exchange's subsidiary. They're going to announce the future of the ring decision in early June. Elsewhere, there was quite an epic story in Bloomberg. Thugs for hire take investor disputes to extremes in Hong Kong. What apparently former CEO Charles Lee had once called the market's dark corners. As I mentioned at the time in Exchange Invest, political power comes from the barrel of a gun, adopted for settlement rendering delivery versus payment, uh, well, delivery versus punches, I suppose in this case as DVP. The process of raiding a company AGM with your specially selected brawny backup was, as far as I recall, somewhat of a Romanian corporate governance best practice some years ago with certain listed companies, where investors would go to the length of ensuring their how might one call them? Well, let's use a Reuters-esque term, or at least a Refinitiv-esque term here, decision assistance operatives. Those decision assistant operatives, who look very much like the sort of people you'd see as bouncers elsewhere in the world of an evening, owned one share to enable attendance to then, how might one also put this diplomatically, encourage, with fists as required, the votes in the preferred direction of your particular parent shareholder. Back to the floors. News from the New York Stock Exchange. More staff can return to the trading floor if they're vaccinated. At the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, no need for a vaccination because, actually, they're not going to be reopening most of the open outcry pits. The Eurodollar options pit is the only pit, the last pit still standing at South Wacker in Chicago on the CME floor. It's almost but not quite a full-scale farewell to the floor. CME deserves plaudits digging into electronic trading history as the only legacy exchange to ever organise coherent efforts to help floor traders make the transition. That was almost 20 years ago now, and it was an honour for myself to be involved with that programme, overseen by the then Vice Chairman, Jim Olaf, who was years ahead of his time with his prescient action to endeavour to make sure that as many traders as possible could make a successful transition from floor to screen. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. It was a frantically busy week for results in the parish. All the deals were in Exchange Invest Daily, the newsletter no person can afford to be without in capital markets and market structure. For the sake of this podcast, let's just look at one edited highlight. Intercontinental, as always, exceeded expectations. 
We don't even need to go into the base of the numbers, but of course the most exciting part was that sale of Coinbase. They had a significant stock in the company, which they ultimately sold for $1.2 billion. They didn't disclose quite what they paid for it, but let's put it this way. They bought that stake as part of a $75 million round as one of 16 investors at a pre-money valuation $400 million round. As I say, we don't know how much New York Stock Exchange acquired on behalf of ICE, but ICE have announced $1.2 billion in revenue from the sale. What a lovely return. Elsewhere, Euronext, they're looking in the world of deals to increase their share capital in order to manage to absorb the Borsa Italiana, the deal for acquiring which has now closed. So they're looking for, well, if anybody happens to have a couple of billion dollars handy, I doubt it'll be Intercontinental Exchange buying that bond. Nonetheless, they're in the bond market, going to be looking for added debt to acquire the rest of the Italian exchange within the Euronext empire. New markets this week. Two fascinatingly interesting opportunities at opposite sides of the world. The SIBO, they are set to launch their Amsterdam Derivatives Exchange coming in September. Meanwhile, the Vietnam Gold Trading Association has proposed the establishment of a national gold exchange in either Hanoi or Ho Chi Minh City, as the authorities and presumably traders prefer. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, if you're trying to work out what are the future of financial markets, if you're looking for a decent paperback read, catch up on my book available at Amazon and all good bookstores, Victory or Death, Blockchain, Cryptocurrency and the Fintech World. COVID-19 is a killer. Can it kill your career? Or is that the impact of Fintech destroying your business? It's a Victory or Death world of risk and opportunity. Victory or Death is published by DV Books and is distributed by Ingram Worldwide. Don't forget, while you're waiting for your copy of Victory or Death to arrive, check out our new live stream. We're up to issue, actually, episode 31 this week, so it's not so new. Coming to you on Tuesday at 6pm London, 1pm New York time, 1900 hours Central European. And our guest this week is going to be the magnificent Lynn Martin. She's the data diva of the Intercontinental Exchange's empire. If you want to catch up on our back issues, last week we had Max Ganado, the legal brain, behind much of the Maltese Financial Centre legislation over the course of the years, and he was fascinating again discussing civil versus common law, a topic which was of course also dealt with by Barnabas Reynolds in an earlier live stream. All the back issues can be found on YouTube, just search for IPO-vid, and we'll be coming live to you on Tuesday at 6pm London time. And that's going to be on LinkedIn, Facebook, and also YouTube. Over in Cryptoland this week, Warren Buffett's not so high profile, but nonetheless fascinatingly interesting to listen to. Deputy, the Berkshire Hathaway Vice Chairman Charlie Munger, was reeling against Bitcoin in Berkshire Hathaway's annual meeting last weekend, calling the cryptocurrency disgusting and contrary to the interests of civilization. Strong stuff there from a man who obviously likes his fiat money. Over in products, the Hong Kong exchange, they backed down on their contentious plan to double the profit qualification for IPOs after an outcry. That was an exclusive in the South China Morning Post. The original plan was to go from a $50 million, that's Hong Kong, profit to $125 million Hong Kong dollar profit. Through widespread criticism, the watered-down proposal looks to be going from $50 million Hong Kong to $80 million Hong Kong. $80 million Hong Kong, incidentally, being about $10.3 million US dollars. Speaking of IPOs, what an incredible bumper month April was. 
Let's look at just NASDAQ alone. 51 companies drove forward listings during the month of April, described with memorable understatement by NASDAQ CEO and President Adina Friedman as it's been a favorable environment for us to be able to bring a lot of new companies to market. Amongst them, of course, was the Epic Coinbase IPO. Then again, think about it, ladies and gentlemen. Not so long ago, the top exchanges in the world were doing this number of IPOs in a really, really terrific year, whereas NASDAQ just did 51 IPOs in a month, including Coinbase. Elsewhere, lots of speculation the race for LIBOR's replacement is too close to call. The truth, of course, is that the one clear likelihood here was always that killing off the monopoly LIBOR benchmark, the blob were ultimately going to enable an array of competing benchmarks to replace the previous monopoly. Cue what I suspect is going to be outrage globally across the Sunday newspaper personal finance sections in the near future. That's going to be full of whinging that loan calculations are confusing for retail investors and retail punters due to so many different benchmarks. I give that complaint cycle 24 months max. Yet again, regulators have moved in haste to solve a problem and created a whole new realm of issues through their precipitate and ill-considered moves. Technology this week, we're looking at the speculation. Basildon to Bergamo. Euronext are saying they want to move their data centre from the UK haven in London, in the county of Essex, just to the east of London, in fact. Now, that's going to be a first hurdle for Euronext in many ways. It needs to show politically to Italy that they really have the economic influence that Italy actually doesn't have in the realpolitik of Euronext's Franco-centric structure. Therefore, Borsa Italiana, via their new parent, Euronext, will want to get all their data in a centre over a thousand kilometres away from the existing centre in Essex, which happens to be where all the major traders are co-located. So actually, if the customers make enough noise, a Gallic Shrug-style postponement can be enabled here, but that's going to leave Italy dissatisfied. Welcome to Age of Empires for Bourses edition. Step forward, eSIP, that's digitizing the work of bond listing at the Philippine dealing system. Congratulations to PDX there. The Namibian Stock Exchange, they're going to start on-screen bond trading in June, which is great news as well. Well done to CEO Tian Bazuan there. A CSD is also coming. It just needs the enabling legislation. One embarrassment this week, Singapore exchanges, they had a four-hour outage of their website, not related to the trading system, and apparently it was something to do with domain name systems, DNS, causing the problem. Regulation. UK investors may have to sit a test to buy a high-risk product in the future. What an interesting possibility. Elsewhere, the European Union's executive, they're seeking to bar Britain from the cross-border disputes accord, the Lugano Agreement. That's a good example of the European Union's spurned divorcee mentality with regard to Brexit, as it seems to make doing business ever harder in the euro blob than it already is for all parties, based whether inside or beyond the over-regulated anti-business remit of Brussels. In Korea news this week, one sad passing. R.I.P. William Lupien, the former CEO of Instanet and a true financial market technology pioneer. He was also the man who was a founder of the now broadly forgotten but revolutionary at the time, Optimark. It looked so much like the future of exchanges at the time of capital market revolution but didn't gain critical mass. Congratulations to Ivana Gazic, the CEO of the Zagreb Stock Exchange, on being recognized in the Athena 40. 
Elsewhere, it may come as a shock to listeners that TPI Cap are actually paying their C-suite at the moment for their absolutely atrocious results. Nonetheless, there was a story via Yahoo Finance headlined increases to CEO compensation might be put on hold for now at TPI Cap Group PLC. And so, ladies and gentlemen, in a week where Fidelity halved its Ant Group valuation after Beijing's clampdown, that, of course, will come as worse news still for Jack Ma. Nonetheless, the whole group still valued at a pretty stunning $144 billion, even after Beijing's clampdown, scuttling the company's initial public offering, even after the initial part of the subscription had closed. We at Exchange Invest were looking at something entirely different. Key Exchange Influencers 2020, as defined by search. We profiled the runners and riders throughout the course of the week in Exchange Invest, as well as those who didn't make the top six overall. Drop by our YouTube channel now to catch the two-minute video of the top six most influential people according to Search in the course of 2020. And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Patrick L. Young. Thank you for listening to this episode 93 of the Exchange Invest weekly podcast. We'll be back next week with episode 94. In the meantime, if you want to be at the water cooler for the business of bourses every day, don't forget, subscribe to Exchange Invest. Send us an email, contact us via exchangeinvest.com and we'll be happy to give you a free 30-day trial. In the meantime, as I said before, have a great week in life and markets. My name is Patrick L. Young. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our program, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.